hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2023's theme is Circular Cosmetics. This month's topic is skincare, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. Are we getting sustainable skincare all wrong? Are the only raw material choices for cosmetic formulators and chemists between earth harvest ingredients and lab engineered ingredients? Or is there a third way? How can beauty manufacturers reformulate, reposition and renew existing product portfolios into a circular model? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Hello to Laura Rudo, Director of Good Ventures and Evolve Organic Beauty. A warm welcome back to Dr. Richard Blackburn, Professor of Sustainable Materials at Leeds University, co-founder of Caracol Limited and Dr. Craft Cosmetics. And a warm welcome back to Natalie Deacon, Director of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at Avon International. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much. Great to be back. Hi, great Thank to you be. for having me. Laura, let's start with you. What are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities at Evolve Beauty for circular skincare products? Well, thank you for having me. And um, yes, I think that circular skincare products are a really interesting um, development area as a way of trying to improve the sustainability of what we do in cosmetics. We've already started doing some um, products in this area. So in terms of how you can make the product circular, what you could do is to try and offer refills of products. And we've started doing some of the um, easy things to do in this category. So things like offering a refill bottle and asking customers to reuse a pump is a really easy starting point for many brands. Um, And that's because it's much easier to recycle the kinds of bottles that we use. So we would use a glass bottle, which can be recycled very easily in your household waste, but we also use recycled plastic bottles as well which are post-consumer recycled the challenging area is to actually be able to um recycle the pumps that go on top of the bottles so we thought well if we can offer a refill for the piece of the product that can be easily recycled and people can reuse the pump then that's a really easy way for them to start being more circular um the reason that the pumps are tricky to recycle is because they have a little plastic sorry a little metal spring inside them Um, And they also can't often be made with um, recycled material because they're very precision components that need to fit together really well. And often recycled plastic is made up of lots of different grades of plastic. Um, So it it isn't always quite as um, sort of uniform as as virgin plastic. So that's really one of the first things that we've tried to do. And and that was a really good and easy opportunity. And then the other thing we've done is we've started offering bulk refills to to our amenities customers. So we work, for example, with the office group, which is a a hotel, an office, a serviced office group. And what we do with them is we actually offer five litre jerry cans of some of our products, things like shampoos and body washes. Um, And that's great because they can then refill the products in their bathrooms, which are on the wall dispensers. So those things are quite easy to do. We've done those already. So where are the challenges? I think the challenges are around um, 
when you want if you wanted to get a customer to um refill a product in a store i think that starts being a bit more problematic maybe they have to bring their product in is the is the empty packaging that they bring in then clean which might provide some sort of technical challenges but are they also going to be going into a store um Otherwise, you could maybe ask the customer to send the product back to you. But then if you do that, is it actually going to be greener to do that? Because they have to post the product back and then the the empty packaging needs to be cleaned. Um, another thing that some brands do is to offer refills in pouches. But the challenge with that is that the pouch material is actually not very easy to recycle and it isn't possible to get biodegradable pouches. So um, those are the areas we've looked at and we're not really seeing a clear sort of quick win on those, although we're still looking at what we can do. Um, I think there's another longer term um, option here, which is to offer um, concentrated products to customers, which they could then rehydrate at home. And I think that could be a really good way to surmount some of the challenges available with current technology. But um, that's sort of still in the pipeline in terms of technology um, for most brands, although a few have started doing it. Indeed. And Richard, at Dr. Craft, what are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities for your brand? This is a challenge with respect to the consumer that we've been facing through my work at the University of Leeds and through my spin-out Caracol for many years. We've been we've been working in this area for, for nearly 20 years now. And and I think that the issue with respect to the consumer is is a lack of understanding of what sustainability and what circularity actually means. And, and that, that's not the fault of the consumer. I think it's the, a fault of the industry for not educating the consumer properly or providing misinformation. That's an area that the media is, is also guilty of, not really understanding sustainability and understanding what circularity actually means. Um, and so I think the issue that the consumer faces, and certainly in terms of us trying to sell our brands and our products to consumers, is getting them to make the right decision because it's an increasingly crowded and confusing market in terms of issues of sustainability and natural and environmentally friendly and vegan and organic and all of these different terms and what do they actually mean? And so I think that the main challenge that we face is, is having that transparent understanding of what circularity is and thinking about it from the perspective of, of of the full life cycle of those products. We just heard some really great ideas about packaging, you know, and there are lots of amazing ideas of how we can get circular packaging. And that's brilliant. That should be applauded. But I often think that what's inside the bottle is often forgotten about. And it's, I've seen many times when it's been reported that the most important thing seems to be that the packaging is recycled. And I think that's very disappointing for me as a chemist, because actually, what's inside the bottle has potentially a much greater impact on the environment than what's on the outside of the bottle, particularly with all the, of the recycling strategies that we've got. Because if you think about it, everything within a cosmetic product, we put it onto our body, but it ends up going down the drain either immediately because we waste a portion of it or when we ultimately wash it off our bodies down the drain with some other personal care product. And so what happens to it? What's the fate of it in the environment? And of course, also, what are we making it out of? What are the raw materials? What's the method by which we make it? And I don't think that there's enough 
brands, consumers, public awareness, media awareness of that full issue of, of, of that life cycle of, of product, packaging, everything, and, and its total impact. And I, and I think that is the main consumer challenge that we face. And talking education, Natalie, what are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities at Avon International? So just taking a step back for a moment, this is a challenging but such an exciting area for the, all of us. You know, we are really seeing a level of change in the industry you know, that, that I certainly haven't seen in the time that I've been here. So for us here at Avon, you, we've got decades of experience in skincare innovation. And now not only are we looking for products that perform, but also products that can deliver on our sustainability agenda. And you know, Richard is quite right to point out the confusion that there is out there among our customers. Uh, but we know that our customers really want this. You know, and it's not going to be long before this is absolute table stakes to even be considered for purchase. So we really want to do better. Our customers want us to do better. And yes, there's still sometimes confusion, quite rightly, about what better means. I think we can come back to that. But ultimately, our job as a multinational beauty brand selling skincare in multiple countries worldwide is to find a way to engineer more sustainable products, both from a formula and from a packaging perspective that don't compromise on quality, but also deliver both cost and convenience for our customers. It's a universal truth that customers want more sustainable products, but they're not willing to pay for it and it needs to be convenient for them. So I think our big challenge here is how can we help people to go on this journey? And there is a huge amount of confusion and uncertainty. You know, we in the beauty industry are partly driving that by claiming different things in different ways and by the lack of standards and also by the lack of consistent regulation. Also, the lack of consistency in infrastructure doesn't help, whether it's you know, within a country where recycling uh, infrastructure will vary from uh, region to region to at a global level where countries are in very different places as to what they will and they won't collect. So there's a really important role that we need to play to help people understand a little bit more about the starters at a very basic kind of level what is and isn't recyclable but also much more broadly around what their choices are and what some of the trade-offs are so that they can start to make decisions that are in line with their own values and that they can start on that behavior change i think one thing that we really need to do as an industry is make sure we're working together to start to be a little bit more consistent. So at Avon, 
as part of our parent company, Natura & Co., we're part of an eco-beauty school consortium. So we're working with others in the industry to get more consistent packaging and rating of beauty products that look at both formula, what's inside, and packaging so that consumers have a much better idea when they're buying something as to what they're buying into. So I think that's a really practical example of how we can work together, but we really need to make sure that we're we're not contributing to the confusion, but we're trying to help our customers understand some of the choices that they're making and some of the complexity that lies behind this stuff. Yeah, there's no such thing as a sustainable or not product. It's far more nuanced and complex than that. And thinking about levels of change, Laura, what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities at Evolve Beauty for circular skincare products? So I started talking a little bit about this in my last answer. So I think there's, um, when you're trying to be really ambitious to create circular skin products, um, some of the sort of the technical challenges can be around um, when you're making concentrated products. So this, I was starting to talk about this, this could be a product that is a solid product that then gets rehydrated. So technically that's quite a challenging thing to do. Normally when you make a skincare product um, and it's made under sort of controlled conditions, you might involve heat in the process, you'd involve um, some high speed mixing in the process. And so you can make a very stable product that way which will um then sort of perform in a in an expected fashion i think one of the challenges if you start making products which the customer is rehydrating at home which i think is the sort of the end game really for for circular skincare products where you're sending someone something dry and then they're adding the water at the very end of the process is that um the challenge with that is that the customer is not going to have any machinery to do it. So they can really just add boiling water or cold water and mix the product by shaking it. However, although this sounds really technically difficult, it is possible to sort of work in this area. And there is a lot of development work going on, um, both um, in natural and organic companies like we are at Evolve Organic Beauty. But I know there's a lot of work going on sort of in conventional um, sort of personal care companies as well. Um, so I think this is something in the next few years that we're really going to see will open up more opportunities um, for circular skincare products than there are at the moment. Um, and I think that what I, the other issue that I think that you have if you try and do something like a take back scheme, the technical challenges are all around contamination. And how do you ensure that um, the packaging that customers are refilling has been properly cleaned. And the problem with that is, again, it's about trying to ensure consistency. So if you have a packaging that hasn't been properly cleaned and is wet inside, um, then the system that you have been using to preserve the product might be put under additional stress. And that might then cause that system to fail. Um, and then that gets into sort of some other issues around liability. So whose fault would that be then? Um, if the customer didn't then sort of follow the guidelines in terms of how to have that packaging cleaned. So I think that's where some of the more ambitious um, sort of schemes for, for circular um, recycling and reuse of packaging um, become quite difficult, um, which is one of the reasons that, you know, we've started off doing some of the low hanging fruit um, 
where you're giving somebody a product that's still um, been produced under controlled conditions and they're then reusing sort of elements of the product um, in the same packaging for the same product that, that was used before just to try and minimise those um, sort of issues. And thinking about levels of change, Richard, what are the technical challenges and opportunities at Dr. Craft? The challenge in using more sustainable um, and circular ingredients is very much focused around the source materials in terms of where we can actually get those materials from. Because I think that a mistake that people commonly make in relation to sustainability and, and, and natural and and circular is assuming that anything natural fits that re requirement. That's absolutely not the case. There's, there's there's many many examples of natural products that are not sustainable because of the way that you either grow them or source the materials. They're not necessarily sustainable in terms of when they ultimately get into the environment, uh, particularly some naturally derived rather than direct natural products. And so I think that 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 is a technical challenge because that limits your toolbox effectively of what, what you can use. So what we do in Caracol um, in our research is trying to look at the source material first and foremost. And that's why you know we, we look a lot at food byproducts. So when um, rather than dedicating land to growing ingredients, which isn't necessarily the best idea because first and foremost, you should be using land to feed people. Can we look at food waste and particularly food byproducts as sources of raw materials? Because they've already fulfilled their food function. And so a lot of the waste for example, in some of the products that we've made, um, fruit skins, berry skins, skins from blackcurrant, skins from mandarin, grapes, things like that. Um, lots of amazing ingredients there that we can tap into that is already a waste stream of an existing industry. So we don't need to use any more land to produce our products. And I think that when you then look at them in terms of when they ultimately get into the environment, as I say, you know, when they, they go down the drain as they ultimately do via some mechanism, are they still biocompatible? Are they still biodegradable in that environmental situation? Because again, you can't assume that just because they come from nature, it means that they will be biodegradable in water, for example, because, you know, water companies do a really, really good example, uh, sorry, really do, do a really good job of cleaning up uh, what we put down the drain, but they're not perfect. Not everything gets cleaned up by the water companies. Things still get into our water, get into our air, get into our environment. So are those ingredients inside the bottle compatible with that? Because if we want circularity, it has to be circular. Again, as I said before, from a full life cycle perspective, where does it come from? What happens to it during its lifetime? And, and, and is it circular at the end of life? Does it go back to nature? Does it fulfill that true life cycle? Um, because if it doesn't, it's not a truly circular ingredient. Um, and I think that, again, one of the one of the things that's happened in relation to a lot of products is that people have focused on active ingredients, selling really good stories around, we've got this active ingredient, it's from a sustainable source, therefore the product is sustainable. Forgetting that probably more than 90% uh, you know, of the ingredients that are in there and not the active ingredient and the rest of the formulations, the same old, same chemicals we've been using for decades. Uh, and 
I, I can count, you know, many occasions when I've seen products that sell themselves on circularity and sustainable ingredients. And then you read the ingredients in the bottle and it's like, you know, most of the ingredients are not. It's just one ingredient that they call out on the front to sell a good story. And it's something that we're really passionate about in, in our work in, that we do at Caracol in designing products is that 100% of that formulation, as much as we possibly can, trying to get that sustainable in terms of all of those ingredients, natural, naturally derived, and making sure that we have good stories in terms of both sourcing and end of life for all of those ingredients inside the bottle. Talking limited tools, Natalie, what are the technical challenges and opportunities for Avon International? Well, actually, many of the technical solutions are already there. You know, we have a laid out roadmap to achieve our goals around circularity. So, you know, all of our products to be reusable, recyclable, compostable uh, by 2030 from a packaging perspective, you know, we're aiming for 50% post-consumer recycled content in our packaging. Uh, 95% of our, our formulas are going to be biodegradable. So technically, the roadmap is there. I think our big challenge as an industry is scalability. And that's determined by cost and how we source ingredients and elements in our packaging that will come at a cost premium without passing that cost on to our customers and also scalability from a geographical sense in terms of you know, how we make sure that we are able to produce and deliver more sustainable, more circular products you know, at a mass level in multiple countries to millions and millions of, of customers. So I think it's less about technical solutions and more about scalability. I think some of that is linked to customer readiness and, and Laura talked a little bit about this, but you know, how we start to transition customers to buying their skincare a little bit differently, to mixing at home, to refilling. Uh, a lot of behaviour change is needed there to, to help people on that journey. But we also need to continue to, to challenge ourselves on, you know, what does circular even mean? And, and you really, I have to agree wholeheartedly with, with a lot of what Richard has said here in terms of, you know, there's no such thing as a sustainable ingredient and, and often natural ingredients or naturally derived ingredients in particular, we really have to be careful about because natural doesn't necessarily mean sustainable. And we've found that sometimes natural or naturally derived ingredients either aren't fully circular or may have a higher carbon footprint, for example. Um, you know, Richard's talked about active ingredients. Another example would be essential oils, which you know, can take up an enormous amount of landmass for a very small amount of product, you know, also with a lot of wastage. And I think we need to make sure that we're looking at circularity in the bigger context of sustainability. And yes, we want to develop and deliver more circular products. But before we even get to that, we need to be making sure that we're reducing the amount of product that we use, that, sorry, the, reducing the amount of packaging 
that we put out there in the first instance, that we're making sure that we take a much more thoughtful approach to how and where we source our ingredients so that we can help our customers to start to look at the total footprint of anything they buy from an environmental perspective, but also in terms of social impact as well, because you know, people and planet go together to pr ultimately produce the products that we're buying. And thinking about that, Laura, what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities at Evolve Beauty for circular skincare products? I think um, when you think about the environmental aspect, one of them is um, the challenge can often be around measuring the different sort of options we've been talking about to really understand what makes the biggest difference. So the way we've approached this at Evolve is we've done a carbon footprinting exercise. We've done a scope one, two and three um, carbon footprint. So scope one and two is the carbon that you generate in your own business and scope three is the carbon in your supply chain. And um, just sort of reflecting on what some of what's been said about carbon footprint of different types of ingredients, um, what we found when we when we did that exercise was that one of the biggest drivers of that wasn't um, how the ingredient was extracted and whether it was natural or, or um, synthetic, although we, we almost always use natural ingredients, a few synthetics here and there. Um, it was actually how it was transported. So if there were any ingredients that were um, air freighted, they had a much higher footprint than anything that came by sea. So um, that was really interesting when we were starting to think about um, sort of picking what ingredients we should use in our products. Um, and I think that having that approach to trying to assess different options, whether it's ingredients or different packaging types, is a very useful way to try and understand the sustainability. Now, of course, carbon is only one measure of this. Um, and the frustration is that it's very difficult to um, and expensive to do the carbon footprinting analysis across um, you know, a wide variety of um, ingredients. We have over 180. So it's a tricky exercise to do. But I think it's very important because I think that when you look at some of the um, things that are being done, for example, going back to the idea of customers wanting to send um, products back to us so that we could clean them and then send them out again they would send back the empty packaging of course and we would then um, refill that it's not entirely clear to me that that's actually um got a lower carbon footprint um then um then if we you then if they recycle the material um when they finish using it because they've of course it would have to be moved from you know to back to us um which would cause more carbon um and I think that it's really important to be able to do this carbon footprinting when we're trying to assess different types of, um, you know, things to do. So recently we did a life cycle analysis on a new um, tube that we're using, which is made of sugarcane plastic, to check that it actually did have a lower carbon footprint than using other types of materials, which it does do. Um, and we'll be publishing the results of that in our next um, sustainability report, which is going to come out at the end of March, which we do every year. Um, 
And I think with the sometimes one of the other problems is you're trying to trade off different things. So you might be trading off, well, it has a lower footprint with, but it creates more waste and trying to kind of, um, it's a little bit like trying to add up apples and pears. You can't really do it because you're, you're, you've got a few different objectives, carbon being one of them, reducing waste being another one. Um, and you can't always sort of, you know, sometimes it might be better on one, um, but not on the other. Um, so yeah, I think there are lots of environmental challenges and I think what would improve it if there was more data available so one of the things I'm working on is to try and help um, create an open source database of ingredients particularly to help smaller cosmetic brands like we are um, be able to access this information to make better decisions about the environmental impacts of what they're doing. And would open sourcing be the solution for the environmental challenges and opportunities at Dr. Craft, Richard? I think that one of the issues that we have is lack of data on, on all of this. Um, so any pooling of data that the industry has would obviously be extremely welcome. But, you know, sorry to be very cynical, but, you know, a lot, a lot of companies, particularly the large companies, keep a lot of this information to themselves because it gives them a marketing edge. You know, and, and it is it is an incredibly difficult thing to do to get full life cycle data on any ingredient. You know, it's, it is a very, very significant undertaking just to do it for one one ingredient, and it and it is a it's a highly skilled thing to do to actually to to do that. Um, in our in our approaches to all of our ingredients, we you know we have a set of criteria that we look through both from a very much qualitative perspective initially and then quantitative where we can in terms of trying to understand the impact of that ingredient in terms of, as I said before, where does it come from? How do we manufacture it? How much energy in manufacture? How much water in manufacture? Um, again, coming back to, you know, the source material, if, you know, if it's, if it is being grown in land, you know, what is the impact of that on biodiversity? What is the impact of that? in terms of the area of the world where it's been grown. And I think another area as well, which is often forgotten about is, is, you know, what's the societal impact of sourcing those ingredients, you know, not only from an environmental point of view in terms of damaging the local environment where these ingredients have been produced, but also are you taking away something that could otherwise be used as a food? You know, a lot of ingredients are edible, you know, so are we, you know, in sourcing cosmetic ingredients, are we actually exacerbating problems of food shortages in parts of the world where those ingredients have been grown? Uh, again, another reason for using unavoidable by food byproducts rather than food materials themselves. Um, and, you know, the point about air miles is, is a great point as well. You know, using more locally produced uh, ingredients, you know, in our in our grape products, you know, we use a UK winery um, and they're, they're grapes that they've been pressed for making English sparkling wine. Um, and not only are we, you know, sourcing their waste material, but also they themselves as farmers use sustainable agricultural practices in growing that for their primary function as, as for making sparkling wine. And our blackcurrants are all English you know, black grown black currants for Ribena and things like that. Yeah, so trying to keep it as local as possible. But if we do have to go further afield, thinking about what we're actually shipping, because again, if it's an extract of some natural material, there's no point shipping 
a huge bulk of extract across the world to be extracted in Leeds. It would be better to work with a local partner where the product is being produced or grown, extract it there, and then ship the minimum mass that you have to, to again, minimize on that carbon footprint if you do indeed have to source anything from further afield. So I think we do that in all of, in all of the, the ingredients that we work on and try to, to look at them from different aspects. And, and you know, what, what was said before by Laura was quite right in terms of you cannot, you know, balance everything, get everything perfect for every single ingredient. You have to be pragmatic and say, where can we be as sustainable as possible within this list of criteria for these ingredients? Because nothing is perfect. Everything has an impact. You know, to say anything has zero impact is, is fundamentally incorrect. You know, everything has an impact. It's just about minimising that to something that is manageable and compatible with the environment. And is collaboration the key to the environmental challenges at Avon International, Natalie? Most certainly. I think we are all across the industry struggling with availability of data, struggling with transparency and you know, uh, as Laura and Richard have spoken to really comprehensively you know, we are all having to try to better understand and then ultimately communicate what are the impacts of every choice that we make and lack of consistent approaches to life cycle analysis lack of consistent data makes that really difficult for us formulating products as well as for our customers who are buying it so we most certainly need to collaborate more as i mentioned earlier we're part of an eco beauty school consortium where we're trying to develop some consistent standards and we need that kind of cross industry collaboration if we're really going to to make progress yeah we're still very much at the infancy of, of what we're doing here and if we don't start to develop more standards if we don't start to stop competing in terms of standards and how we're trying to communicate it's going to be really difficult for us to to make progress so we need to start looking at that total impact and i would say again this is about the environment but it's also about the people on our planet as well so for example when we're looking at our critical materials we're looking not just at what's the impact on the ecosystems um where these um ingredients are being sourced but also what's the impact on the people on the communities who are growing and harvesting the these ingredients and again that takes working with others not just just at a peer level but also with companies throughout our supply chain and developing much deeper levels of transparency and collaboration than we've had in the past so Laura, uh, Natalie has suggested we needed better cross industry standards, but who should be responsible for this? What are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities in the circular skincare product market? I think that um, somebody, possibly Natalie mentioned earlier that one of the big challenges is that customers are very confused about this area. And I totally agree with that. 
and that um, there aren't any real standards. And we've we've talked quite widely about sort of different aspects of this packaging, products, um, and then sort of overall company. And I think in some areas there are already some standards which are not necessarily sort of at a governmental level, but you know the industry has started organising itself, which I think is good. So you know from a from a kind of a product perspective, and we're talking a bit about sort of natural, there are standards that we follow so we actually follow um the the cosmos organic and natural standard um and that's a very broad standard it's not just about the amount of sort of certified organic material that you'll find in a product it's also about you know where the ingredients were um where they came from and how they were produced and then having full traceability throughout the supply chain so we've been working on an organic standard for almost the entire um lifetime of um of our brand evolve organic beauty and i think it's really important to help customers have clarity on what's actually inside the product and i think richard touched as well on the idea that the ingredients should be sort of safe in in the water stream which i also really agree with and as part of that standard um you know microplastics have never been allowed but um you know there's also lots of um checks that are made to make sure that the ingredients are going to be sort of um safe in the water stream as well as sort of safe to use on skin so i think in terms of the actual um you know what goes into the product i think that those standards exist and they're already very comprehensive which is great I think, you know, on the packaging side, um, there are fewer standards, but again, you can do carbon footprinting of things and then be transparent about um, your, you know, the footprint of the products. And we're just about to publish on our website the footprint of all of our products because we've done that work now. And when I was looking, I actually find no really no one else is doing that yet so you know having that transparency at a product level i think i found one company in the in the us who've who've done it but i think it would be really helpful for customers to be able to benchmark um products against each other so that they can see what the carbon footprint is of products for you know for some of the bigger companies who've already done their carbon footprinting that should be something that they could also do um, and I think that would be very helpful for customers. Um, the other thing we've done at Evolve, and this is a bit broader than just circular cosmetics, but we've become a B Corporation, um, which is um, a new type of company structure um, for people who don't know what that is. And uh, so it stands for Benefit Corporation. And it's a sign that it's a business that's trying to be a force for good. Um, as part of that, there's a new industry group, the B Beauty Coalition, who are all beauty companies who have this B Corporation stamp, who are also trying to work at a sort of an industry level on a number of projects. And one of them is actually related to circular cosmetics. Um, so I think, you know, the industry can organise itself and um, try and help customers because it can be transparent and people can meet sort of certain certifications. And I think that's normally the best way to um, regulate. 
Um, but of course, government plays a role as well, and they're starting to have new sort of taxes and reporting um, requirements as well to help move things um, in the right direction. Um, and I think that both from an industry and a sort of a governmental level, things are going to keep going in that direction. And a lot of companies have also signed up to net zero, which we've done, which means that we've committed to halve our carbon footprint by 2030 and reduce it by 90 percent by 2050, which is a really big ask. And one of the ways we'll be doing that is by looking at these ingredients that come from further away, trying to remove those from our supply chain, looking at how we can use more regenerative ingredients that actually help with soil health, because actually organically grown ingredients can lock more carbon into the soil. So they can be really helpful to reduce the carbon footprint. Um, and then um, we're also looking at where we can swap packaging um, for, for greener materials. So um, the sugarcane and plastic is a potential one of those. So, um, yes, that's what we're doing at Evolve. And at Dr. Craft Cosmetics, what are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for you guys? I think the safety issue and it, you know, it goes beyond regulatory, actually, because I think that in, in the area of natural ingredients, I think the regulations are not great, to be honest with you. I hate, hate to disagree with other people, but I think they're not great at all. I think it's quite easy to put a natural ingredient into a cosmetic product and satisfy yourself that you think you're doing the right thing. And this is not, you know, people are not doing this nefariously. This is, you know, really well-intentioned. But I think it's just, it's a marker that people don't understand the chemistry that nature makes because nature makes a lot of chemistry that is toxic and poisonous. And if you don't understand these natural products, you could be unintentionally put concentrating up toxins in your products. And there's very little that the, the regulations do about that. You know, there's no testing of products, you know, at that, at that level to, to understand that, you know, I see a lot of people using things like uh, stones from things like, apricots you know as, as exfoliators and things like that you know that the stones of apricots contain cyanide <laughs> the stones of cherries contain cyanide there's lots of ingredients in nature that will kill you in in large enough concentrations and so if you know if you eat a lot of cherry stones you know it probably won't do much to you but if you have a process that extracts cherry waste, for example, and you've got stones in there, you could unintentionally concentrate up these toxins and not even know about it. Um, and I think that is a big problem when we're dealing with nature, that people make that assumption. Even, you know, we are chemists, we, you know, we've, we've got a lab full of PhD chemists working for Keracol, but even we make sure that we analyze all of our extracts, you know, we do full world-class analytical chemistry on the extracts to to assure ourselves that we don't have any unintentional byproducts, that we understand the nature of these materials, that we're not going to introduce anything that's, that's concerning. Um, but how many people do that? You know, how many people have the ability to understand the, uh, these ingredients fully in terms of all of the natural chemistry that we make. And I think it comes back to that issue around consumer understanding. You know, consumers don't understand chemistry, you know. And I wish I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, oh, I hated chemistry at school, you know. And I think that idea of that separation of 
natural things not being chemicals, I think is, is the problem. Everything in nature is a chemical. Everything in nature is a chemical. And we need to think about natural chemicals and toxicology in exactly the same way that we do about synthetic chemicals um, and taking and assessing them all on their safety and giving them all the same assessment rather than just making these uh, assumptions. Because nature has some wonderful, wonderful ingredients that we can use in cosmetics, but it also has lots of things that you really, really don't want in there. And is safety key at Avon International, Natalie? Yes, of course. It starts and ends with, with product safety and particularly for us selling in so many different countries. Um, it's about making sure we're exceeding those safety requirements everywhere. I think more broadly when it comes to, to regulation, I think there's scope for, for more actually from a circularity perspective. So we're seeing um, extended producer responsibility in, in many countries, uh, which forces companies to report on the waste that they're putting out. So the idea is that you you drive the right behaviours by charging levies for the amount of waste um, that, that is created by your products and, and then start to engineer to, to create less waste. So I think that's starting to drive some of the right behaviours. Um, but there's a lack of consistency. You know, so in 20 different countries, the reporting requirements and the drivers behind that will all be slightly different. So I think that creates some challenge and, and complexity. I think it's terrific to see the plastic tax coming in um, outside of the UK into some other European countries now. So in the UK, of course, we now have to um pay out a plastic tax for anything with uh, less than 30 percent post-consumer recycled content in, in plastic so that will help to drive the right behavior the size of the taxes will help sustainability professionals to make the business case that actually it's more effective to engineer these products in a much more circular way than it is to make the taxes. So I think that's all going in the right direction. I would love to see more regulation around carbon um, and carbon reduction. So you know, we have science-based targets. So we are on that tra trajectory to reduce our scope three carbon footprint uh, to make sure that our products have a lower carbon footprint. But you know, we're, really this is the industry leading the way on what good looks like. And I think we could start to get much more ambitious from a regulatory point of view there. And finally, Laura, what would progress or indeed good look like in 12 months time? I think 12 months is a relatively short period to see real changes on this. If I think back to when I first entered the cosmetics industry, which was in 2005, and we were creating a range of products, we wanted them to be paraben free. We were talking to um, ingredient manufacturers asking, you know, do you have a paraben free version of that active? And it took about sort of five years or so to really see the industry start having those. And now, of course, you can find so many actives that are sort of Cosmos compliant. We have so many at our disposal um, as natural and organic sort of product designers and formulators. So I think 
with some of the sort of challenges around packaging of circular cosmetics, I'd really like there to be a film material that could be properly recycled. So that's either having collection of um, film materials at curbside or it's a material that doesn't need recycling because it can decompose and I think that that is a huge opportunity that I'm sure is being worked on because there are so many uses for it not just in cosmetics but beyond for sachets for refills and so I think that that's an area that would really unlock a lot of opportunity um, when it does become available um, because it will mean that um, some of those sort of pouch refills will suddenly be a lot green than they currently are um and as i've said a few times i think that progress could also be around having these concentrated products which i think would probably take longer than 12 months and i think that the point around customer behavior change is a really good one because we know that customers already don't always recycle their bathroom waste because it's a they don't always have a recycling bin in their bathroom and so you know getting customers to change their behavior is quite a long process even if the um products are available to them they're still sort of at their infancy some of these sort of solid products what we're working on at evolve is looking at our sourcing um, and i think richard um, talked about this quite a lot as well the idea that with our sourcing we can make an impact um by buying things that are um, more in line with our sustainability um mission so for us it's about regenerative we want to buy ingredients that um, are helping soil health and helping regenerative agriculture so beyond natural and organic which is what we're already doing beyond using upcycled ingredients which we do as well um we're looking at whether we can buy ingredients that um help the soil the problem with this is that actually this isn't something that's well measured at the moment and it's really it's, it's infancy there isn't a standard on that yet but we're really um looking to try and start um assessing those ingredients to see how they are farmed and whether they you know some are more regenerative than others so progress for us is going to be trying to improve that trying to launch more sort of circular um products as the technology becomes available and also working on trying to um improve the data available so an open source ingredients database that's my wish list anyway and for you richard what does progress look like i'd echo a lot of what laura said there progress um within 12 months is it isn't it isn't a long time at all is it things happen uh, things happen change very change happens very quickly but also you know so we're hoping that within 12 months we we're in a better position than we are now i think that that's that's a really important thing to to think about in relation to sustainability circularity in general is that we constantly improve in the subject you know i'm you know in, in my other job i'm an educator you know and, and what what we know about sustainability now is is has evolved from what we knew 20 odd years ago when i first started teaching at the university of leeds and we've got to be open-minded to that updating and that 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 constant education and updating ourselves in terms of what sustainable sustainable and circular actually means progress for me is always going to be about the industry and the consumer knowing more the more we can do to educate our consumer to a bit effectively why should they buy chemical branded products you know why would you come to us rather than than 
the huge number of naturally derived products that are out there. And I hope that we are really transparent in terms of being able to say to our consumers, well, this is what we believe. And, you know, this is based on many, many years, collect, you know, collective years of, of research and knowledge, trying to understand this very complicated subject and always trying to improve. Um, and if we do that, if we educate our, our own consumers, um, and then obviously, <laughs> We will also be educating other people's consumers as well at the same time. That that's not that's not a bad thing. Um, then we will have we'll have made progress and we'll con continue to make progress. We have our own internal targets. You know, constantly trying to improve our products. Always looking for better packaging solutions. You know, packaging is is not perfect by a long way. Um, great great solutions coming on board. Things improving all the time. But you know that they're far from perfect. You know, in packaging and, and and trying to work with partners to find good packaging solutions to again constantly innovate and improve circular packaging will will be uh, will be great for us. Um, yeah. So so I think I think that that's a constant journey. So hopefully we further along that in the next twelve months. And at Avon International, Natalie, what does progress look like? There's a great Greta Thunberg quote that to change everything takes everyone. And I love that because I think it really encapsulates the amount of collaboration we need. And also that this is about lots of small steps. So I would love in 12 months time for everyone to be working together a little bit more closely on this journey to change everything. So we've talked a lot about customers and needing to, to change that behavior, but I think we can help that much more if there's more cross-industry collaboration, but it also goes beyond that. It's about how are we working with our suppliers, who how are we working with and legislators and, and regulation to drive change. So I think progress for me is more of us moving in the same direction to, to try to make progress. And one of the reasons there is so much consumer confusion is because we don't have the answers and it's really complicated at the moment. So it, the future may be in concentrates, it might be in refills, it might be in another solution that we haven't yet found. So much more collaboration to open up the conversation and try to converge a little bit more so that we're a little bit less um, whack-a-mole, I think, in the approach that we take. And for me, it's all about progress over perfection. And I think at the moment, because a lot of brands are trying to compete in this space and are trying to demonstrate the positive impacts that they're striving for, it can create um, a lot more confusion and also drives people to perhaps be less transparent than they could be about the fact that, as we've talked about today, we're all on a journey. None of us have got the answers. None of us are perfect. So this is about how do we drive progress over perfection, because that's how we're ultimately going to drive to a more circular beauty economy. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Laura, Richard and Natalie for joining me today and to you for listening.